Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Delighted to introduce my first guest this morning, a man who rode over 100 winners as national hunt jockey, a sphere in which he was doing extremely nicely, thank you, but he switched his attention to the flat and he never looked back. He rode a first group one winner in 2009, is it really 10 years ago, that Lord Shanachill for Carl Burke won the Prix Jean Pratt, and then his career really took off. Somebody then figured out that this was a man who could be champion jockey quite feasibly. He set about that task with gusto, and he achieved this feat in 2016, after which he was made first jockey to shake hand and arm back to him, one of the prize jobs in the weighing room. He is now firmly established among the uh, top echelons of riders in the country. He is, of course, Jim Crowley. Jim, good morning. Morning. Uh, welcome to the Luck on Sunday studio. It's been a, a pretty remarkable career to date, and I don't think we're even halfway there, are we? I hope not. I hope <laughs> there's plenty more to come. And you're now firmly established as a, a big race rider, a big day rider. You came off the back of a probably a frustrating day for you yesterday at Ascot, but it must have been an amazing race to be a part of. It was fantastic. Um, you know, the atmosphere, you know, when, when Enable came back in, it was just unbelievable. And uh, even the reception Crystal Ocean got and walking back in, even Salloween, all the place horses were getting clapped walking back in. It was just a remarkable race to ride in. And there are some horses that are just a, a little bit special. And I know we're going to spend quite a bit of this program debating what she did or didn't achieve yesterday. But it is that. That emotional impact is quite hard to, to put numbers on, isn't it? It's quite hard to sort of qu quantify, really. Yeah, I mean, she is as good as Philly Mare I've ever seen. Um, I've saw the back of her uh, before with um, Ulysses and the King George mm. two years ago, and uh, she's very special, um, you know, and we've been very lucky to see her. And, you know, obviously Prince Carlos had uh, Frankel and... Um, well, you know, in an era we've been very lucky with some superstars. Uh, you, you mentioned Ulysses. You, you developed a fantastic rapport with him a couple of seasons ago. Would he be the best middle distance horse that you've you've ridden? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think when he won the Judmont that day, he was he was special. You know, he had Churchill and everybody was off the bride, and he was just absolutely cantering. He was a class act. Um, you know, and he, he was a bit unfortunate that when he met Enable, it was soft ground and the weight for age was such a big disadvantage for him. Uh, I'm not saying he would have eaten her, but uh, certainly it was on her terms. But um, yes, and it was uh, he was a super horse. Yeah, he might have put it up to her like Crystal Ocean was, was able to do yesterday, but I think everyone was really captivated by it. And it's, a, it's interesting to know what implications it could have for the sport as a whole, I suppose, for the rest of this season when she turns up again and again and who knows, maybe even next year. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. Um, this obviously the arc is their goal now. Um, whether she'd go to York or not, I don't know. But um, you know, just like I said, enjoy her while you can. And for you to be to be a, a regular part of all these big race days now, do you still count yourself fortunate, or do you now sort of take it as read that that's going to be the case? No, I think you've got to, uh, you know. Um, I wouldn't say I'm fortunate that I'm in this position to ride in good races and uh, I think whenever you get an opportunity to try and grab it and take it with both hands really but um, I certainly don't rest on my laurels and you know good hard, good rides are, are hard to pick up you know especially spare rides in those big races. And you were part of that raft of, of national hunt jockeys who, who switched to the flat and it's gone extremely well for, for an awful lot. PJ McDonald being the obvious other example at the moment, but Graham Lee's done it very successfully. You've done it more successfully than anybody else. When you did it, however, it wasn't considered a fashionable thing to do. It was slightly off the wall. 
What made you do it? Um, I, do you know what? It was just my sister-in-law, Amanda Perrett. Um, I used to ride out there in the summer, and uh, I remember she said to me, you know, um, could you could you ride a few maidens for me? And, and that was it. I just I started riding in a few maidens, and I think um, I, Alan Monroe got injured one year, and Rod Millman then approached me and asked me to ride some of his horses, and I went from having sort of being not that many horses to ride jumping to having access to riding over 100 horses on the flat mm. so it was a bit of a no-brainer um, I had to make a decision whether I was going to be a dual-purpose jockey or go back jumping and um, I was very lucky that in my first year I, I think I rode a group winner for Patrick Chamming's the Brigadier Gerard Stakes um, and then it was just a no-brainer really after that I just set my stall out to, to go full, full on the flat and I know when Graham Lee's interviewed for example he always says I could ride as many of these winners as you want, group winners or whatever, but I'll never get the same buzz as I did when I was in the wearing room at Cheltenham or whatever. Do you understand what he means by that? Yeah, I do. I mean, it was it's it is a different buzz when you're riding jumping. Um, you know, when you get you, you, you get into ride. I was lucky enough to ride in like a Grand Steep to Paris and races like that, and that is just it's it's brilliant. It's a it's a real buzz. Um, the only thing that can sort of compete near that is riding it somewhere like a Breeders' Cup or Chartin or something like that. That's that's when you walk out onto the track and you get a bit of a buzz, yeah. And why did you go down the jumping route in the first place? Was it because that, that was your background, essentially? Yeah, my parents trained point-to-pointers when I was younger and I was probably a bit too heavy for the flat. I was around just over nine stone when I was sort of 16 or 17 years old and um, I just wanted to be a jump jockey. Um, that's all I ever wanted to be and, uh, yeah, hence that's why I went down that route. Were you a thrill seeker as a child, as or as a teenager? Yeah, yeah, and no, I did, and that's you know I remember I used to go to the point to points and used to go and stand down by the last fence and watch the jockeys falling off, and used to think that was just like they were just the best thing ever, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to be like that. And growing up, Richard Dunwoody and people like that were my were my idols. Because you were attracted to the danger. Yeah, I think so. You know, I always grew up hunting and things like that, and, you know, I always, this is what I wanted to be, jump jockey. I remember, we've talked about this a few times, but I remember when we filmed the, the, the racing, the car racing down at Goodwin a few years ago, and there was a whole team of you driving, and you at the time were probably the least high-profile jockey, because there was Ryan and Frankie Dittori and what have you, and you were winning by miles. You're, I've never seen anyone so so plugged in to a, such a so hairy pursuit as you were that day. It was like a, what's yeah, a complete I'm quite adrenaline. competitive. Yes. Um, anything, anything like that. You know, once I set my mind on doing something, um, I'm a great believer in, uh, you know, if you think you can do something, you will. And it's like when I went for the Jockeys' Championship, I, I convinced myself I was going to do it. Um, and I think once you get in that frame of mind, I think it's a, it's a big help. And then you cut. You just can't see any outside interference. All you're doing is focused on that prize. That's right. I mean, um, it's, it's it's. I remember Kieran Fallon saying, hey, "Riding in races, eighty percent of it's in the mind, you know." And I think if you if you really believe you can do something, I think you'll, you'll achieve it definitely. And so, when you were in that championship season in, in 2016, and you had a seriously tenacious competitor against you in Sylvester, who'd already won the, the, the jockeys' championship and is is absolutely brilliant at amassing winners. Was there was there ever a moment that you didn't think it would happen? No, um, I was I was I remember going into Goodwood. I was I was 16 or 17 winners behind, 
um, and we just got on a roll and it was a, a remarkable month I think it was September we had like 46 winners um, and it was just it was just eat sleep race repeat and I, I just um, I'd convinced myself I was going to do it I could just imagine myself sort of holding the trophy and you know it was uh, it was bizarre really and how it worked out 46 winners in a month was more winners in a month than any other jockey has achieved ever before or since. I mean, that is quite remarkable. You must have been exhausted, or were you not? I, I was exhausted. I, I remember going to Redcar the day before Asker. I didn't have to go, but I, I was already committed to rides, and I went. And I slept all the way there, and I slept all the way home. I was literally absolutely exhausted. And I think, you know, we talk about the Jockeys' Championship nowadays, and I don't think people realise the amount of work that has to go in to win it. Um, so the likes of Ryan and Frankie, and although people would love to see them going for the jockey's title, it's so much racing now. It's it just takes such a toll on you. Even with the concertina season and the championship season as it's structured now. Definitely, I think obviously because it's so concertina now that you try and cram more into it. And like we can only ride at nine meetings a week, uh, but that's still a fair amount. I mean, in the old days, you could do two meetings every day. Um, but we can only do two and nine beatings now. But uh, yeah, it, it certainly took took a toll on me. The next season, I was I was I knew I'd done it. Did it give you the? So we're just seeing you receiving your your trophy now, and you received it from from Nick Skelton, who'd won the the Olympic medal. Uh, did you feel the sense of satisfaction that you wanted to feel having won it? Huge amount. I mean, it's. Uh, I never thought I'd be champion jockey on the flat. Uh, you know, when you set out as a jump jockey, I thought, you know, you had great aspirations of being a champion over jumps, but um, I felt that I'd achieved something worthwhile with my career. It was a, it was a great fulfilment, um, and it gave me a lot of confidence, um, and, you know, I loved every minute of it. I'd, I'd love to do it again, at, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's a great buzz, something I really enjoyed doing. And for your children just about old enough to really appreciate it as well the, the girls yeah they they did they used to look at the newspaper every day and you know it was uh, the press it made a real good thing of it obviously sylvester was riding stacks of winners as well and we went toe to toe and um they they, they enjoyed it as well and they took a took a real interest in it so you talk about your determination and clearly the the need to have that mental strength in order to in order to succeed in a, in a challenge like that do you think your route to where you got helped you in a sense that it wasn't an overnight success you didn't just get it handed to you on a plate i think so i think um i sometimes wonder what what would have happened if i'd have gone straight to the flat when i was 17 or 18 but i think you know your your life takes unusual path and mm. I'm so glad mine went down the jumping route first and I appreciate everything I have now you know on the flat and uh, try not to get too cocky or big headed or anything like that and just just appreciate what I've got uh, I've made some great friends along the way jumping and I enjoyed every minute of it and you had some hard taskmasters as well in, in Harvey and Sue Smith but I'm imagining so Harvey sat in that chair memorably and I'd imagine there could be no finer place to learn I loved it. I went. I remember I went down there from Sussex and uh, I drove up to Harvey Smith. I drove past it three times. I didn't think it was a racing yard. Um, and I just, I was there for three, four years with Harvey. And I can honestly say I've never come across a more gifted horseman in my life. And I never will do. You know, he used to get very ordinary horses and make something of them. And yeah, I learned a hell of a lot. There were some great jockeys there at the time. It was good fun as well. And uh, 
bit rough and ready. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. Who were you with? Who were your contemporaries around that time? Was Dominic Ellsworth was there. Seamus Jurak was obviously riding a lot of them. Uh, towards the end, Warren Marston used to come in quite a lot. Um, Paddy Aspel, uh, Derek O'Connor, the Irish champion point-to-point rider, he was there for a season. Yeah, they call him an amateur, but... It, well, yeah, yeah, in name, yeah, he yeah. was a brilliant rider. So there was always plenty of jockeys there, and it was, it was just great, great fun. What did he teach you? Because sometimes those really gifted people, they, they can't be good teachers because they can't really explain why they're so good. Could he teach you? Yeah, well, I remember one thing he did say to me, and I look back on it now, when I was, I was doing really well as a conditioner and an amateur, and he used to say to me, you know, you're taking too many rides. And I had an agent at the time, and obviously I was easy to sell, and I, I would just be riding everything. <laughs> Harvey would say, no, you're better off, don't ride that, son, don't ride that. And next thing you're walking around with a broken collarbone, and you think, yeah, maybe he was quite right. Um, he used to try and get me to ride quite long, um, which obviously being small, we sort of didn't agree on all the time. But uh, he, he was just, you know fascinating to work for and the schooling mornings there were fantastic absolutely brilliant why so um they weren't you know we had a, a line of sort of doors and tires and we didn't have a flash schooling ground um i remember charlie brooks came up one morning he had a difficult horse called misty glass and he couldn't do anything with him harvey just looked at me and said here walk to those set of tires and two strides out straight up and over and that's how we used to school him. we used to school him backwards over the jumps it's just phenomenal, really. I'm just trying to work that out. So, so you 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 jump the like a steeplechase fence the wrong way around. Yeah, definitely. You know, we had we had our I think our open ditch was a set of um, lorry tyres with oil drums in front. Um, it was put it, put it this way: they didn't touch them, and if they did, they only did it once. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew when when you turned up and people would say, "All oh, those Grand National fences are a bit." They walk in the park compared to what you were jumping at home. They were well scored there, absolutely well scored. And, Sort of in the old days of uh, jump trainers, we probably had three or four chase hurdles, and we had a line of about ten in a row, and they were about six, seven strides apart, and then we'd turn around and jump them back down again. Amazing. So what fascinates me is that you go from that nearly 20-odd years ago now to riding the fastest horse in the world, just about, in Batash. And if there were four and a half furlong races, this horse would be talked about as one of the best that's ever lived. He probably is one of the best that's ever been over five when he gets it right, like he tends to at Goodwood. It's formality this week, isn't it? I hope so, yeah. He should be. Um, he loves the place. Um, he's, he's a very intelligent horse. Um, I, I don't go and ride him out very often, thank God. Um, but um, he's, he's, he's a very intelligent horse, and um, he's... He's, he's getting better. He's, he's behaved impeccably well this year. Um, when I first started riding him, he, he was hot. Um, but he's, he's got better, so much better. Is he one of those sort of horses that could have actually just ended up being a, a certifiable lunatic if he'd not been taken the right way? Oh, for sure. I mean, he was, he was gelded um, early on. He, he, he misbehaved quite badly at Ascot one day. Um, and that was it. They just decided to, to, to geld him and... Uh, Ever since then, he's just got better and better and better. But he's not easy. He's not. He wants to do everything at 100 mile an hour. Um, you know, if, if you make the running, he wants. To, he just wants to go that stride faster than you do all the time. And uh, this year, we've been able to drop in a little bit. Um, obviously, I dropped him in at Haydock, but even then, he still he never really fully relaxes for you. Because there's a there's a school of thought that says if he's got that much speed, can you not just use his natural assets, go flat out from the gate? 
yeah. and, and see what happens. I think you probably could on an easy track, definitely. Yeah, and he, I think the, um, the best part of his race is between the three and the two, where other horses are, you know, they're all basically off the bridle and he's still cantering. Um, I thought the race when he won the Prix de Labbe mm. um, in 2017, he was just unbelievable. I think he won by six lengths. He had about five group one winners behind him. Um, you know, he's a hugely talented horse, and hopefully we'll see plenty more of him. When you, when you made that transition, was split-second decision-making something that, that came quite naturally to you? Was it something you had to adjust to? I had to adjust to. I remember um, I've always been quite up on the form, and I used to sort of write notes, and the lads used to take the mick out of me, and I used to go through all the, all the form try and work it out and try and have plan A, plan B and plan C in a race and I think it's over time you get used to the speed of a race and how fast you're going and it is different from jumping um, and it, it, it took me, uh, it certainly took me a, you know, a season to get, it, to get it half right I think. Um, was, there, was there a moment in, in the sort of second phase of your career if you like where you thought yeah I belong here, I'm, I'm, I'm good here? Um, I think yeah. I think um, obviously that that first year I switched to the flat and we started having some big winners. We won a Chester Cup and things like that. And I thought, you know, this is this is. I've originally I only switched to train gain gain some experience. Really, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to carry on being a jump jockey. I had one eye on maybe being a trainer or something, and I just thought, you know what? Why don't I try a few years on the flat or a year on the flat and just get some experience and just find out what it's like? I never set out to to make a career of it on the flat. It, it just sort of happened, really. You, you had a, a, a spell, I suppose this is one of your, your big breaks, writing for, writing for Rafe Beckett, who was on this programme. He talked quite lengthily about your, your relationship together as, as, as jockey and trainer. And, and I think he was attributing your, your passing of ways to, to essentially what he thought was your sort of single-mindedness and that determination you were, you were talking about but before. How was your, your time as a stable jockey there? It was, it was good. He, you know, I really enjoyed riding for Rafe. He was a, a brilliant trainer, and he is a good trainer. We, we were we were a great team. You know, we I think I was there for four, four maybe five seasons. Um, rode a lot of winners for him. Um, I don't think in all those time we never once had a disagreement over a race, um, and we were a good team. But I just felt at the time. Um, it was difficult for me. I was I was retained without being retained, if that makes sense. Mm. And uh, which is common to a lot of jockeys now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was I was. It's Rafe is such a good trainer that he, um, every this you know he, he doesn't leave a lot to chance. And sometimes at the last minute, I'd be getting switched at the last minute and things like that. And I was upsetting a few other trainers as well at the same time. And all my eggs were in one basket. Um, and I just fancied a change, to be honest. And uh, when I left, I probably didn't do it on the right way. I don't know, but I still I didn't try and fall out with anybody. Uh, I offered to carry on riding for them, but I think Rafe just wanted a, a clean break, and um, you know it just worked out that way. But you know we we, we have a laugh now. And I, funny enough, I went to Epsom the other day. <laughs> it's quite a good story. And uh, I came out and uh, I tried to get in my car. And I was pressing the button. I thought, oh, the key, the key fob's not working. So I sat there and I rang my sister and I said, oh, can you come back and collect me? 
my car, I can't get into my car. And then he came walking over to me, smiling. He says, why are you trying to get in my car? <laughs> I just parked three down and we had the exact same cars, <laughs> which is quite funny. <laughs> Thought you might get, get, get at least one ride off him. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you touched on an interesting point there for all we're laughing about it now, which is that as a, as a rider, if you haven't got a retake, you know, you're, a, you're a, a small business, essentially. You're running a small business and you are the product that you're, you're selling. And I guess at some point, you you have to be, if not cutthroat, at least reasonably ruthless in order to get on. Oh yeah, I think I think you you know you've you've got to be reasonably ruthless in any in any sport. But I think um, uh, one thing I will say, Rafe was unbelievably loyal to me when I was there. You know he was he was he was very good. When I, I remember, uh, I I picked the wrong one in the Oaks one year. Mm. Uh, I rode the favourite, and the sixteen to one shot came and well, beat me. You could hardly have so, picked talent exactly. over secret gesture, could you? Yeah, I was, it was a frustrating day that day. Um, but then the next time she ran, and I rode her in the ledger afterwards. You know, he, he was he was an unbelievable loyal trainer to ride for. Um, but yeah, as you said, you've, it's as a freelance jockey, there are a lot of opportunities nowadays. There's so many yards with, say, eighty to hundred horses who don't have a jockey. That, that as a freelance, um, certainly going for the Jockeys' Championship, mm. it's a big plus if you are freelance. Yeah. So you look on this Jockeys' Championship now and you see, the, I was going to say three, two and a half contenders who are there at the moment. So Danny Tartope's had this amazing spell, a bit like your golden spell really, isn't mm. it? It's, it's like that three years on. Asheen Murphy, who everyone thought was going to win two months ago, and Sylvester, who everyone thought was a certainty four months ago. Yeah. How's it going to shake down? I think it's a two-horse race. I, I, you can't rule Sylvester out completely, but I think on, on the winners, he's, he's, he's a, a good bit of working to do to catch up with them. Um, I wouldn't like to call it. I, I, you know, they're both driven. I think Danny Tadope, they're both very good riders. Um, obviously, riding in the north, I think he's going to get a lot of support of the northern trainers. Um, O'Sheen rides for lots of people. I don't think there'd be a lot on it. I think I can't see there being more than... Ten winners in it at the end of the season. I think, think it's it could be, be a real hammer and yeah. tongs job. I think it could, it could go either way. Um, it's whoever really wants it more. I think. And who do you think does want it more? I think they both want it, but I think I think Danny Tudope at that stage of his career, he'd be with the mindset, you know, I might not get another chance, and I think I don't know, it might go his way. And immediately after you'd won, you you get one of the the sort of it's like politician getting one of the great offices of state you get one of the great jobs in the sport as a retained rider to to shake hand at you know you are going to drop on good horses um you know even if there's a lean season you're going to get on some good ones the next time how are you enjoying that role i love it i mean um it it took a bit of a bit of a while to start with there's so many horses to get your head around uh their names all sound very similar and i've got 13 different trainers to keep happy um but you know, I enjoy it. It's 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 a it's a challenge that I enjoy. Um, it was a bit logistically, it was a bit difficult to start with because obviously I live down in Sussex. Yeah. Um, but Richard Hills has been a big help. Obviously, He's, he lives in Newmarket and he likes to ride a lot of the work up there, which it helps me. Um, if there's a good horse or there's something worth riding, I'll I'll come up and stay overnight in Newmarket. Uh, Owen Burroughs is quite local to me. Um, Richard Hannon's Charlie Hills is. They're all sort of within an hour and a half from me, so I tend to do the Lambourne sort of yards a bit more than I would the Newmarket. But 
Um, no, I, I love it, and you know, like I said, it's the chances you're going to get on good horses. Uh, even if you have a quiet season, they'll, they'll come round again, like they they do with an operation that big. Mm. And, and getting to know all those different trainers on a slightly more personal basis must have been fascinating. You you, you already had a bit of a relationship with Sir Michael Stout, but John Gosden and all the other big trainers that that Shake Hand Down uses. It's brilliant because everybody wants their horses ridden in a certain way as well. Not everybody's the same. Um, um, it's something that you know you, you you have to learn to how, like I said, how everybody wants their horses ridden. Um, Sheikh Hamdan normally likes his horses ridden forward in a race, um, and it's you know you have to bear that in mind, um, which is quite easy when you ride for Mark Johnson. Mm. They always don't push, don't pull. Um, but no, it's 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 something I really enjoy, and and like I said, I've so far I've sat on some nice horses. We haven't quite come across a another Tagruda yet. Hopefully, there'll be one one to come. Maybe one of her offspring. Oh uh, yeah, let's hope so. You never know. Well, you've got Batash to keep you going, to keep you warm. In the meantime, it's not too bad, and possibly Elecam as well. Yeah. We'll talk uh, about him in a minute. <laughs> Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel, Dubai.